Hey y'all, it's me, Jenny. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to give you a heads up that we're about to dive into some pretty mature conversations that may not be age appropriate for all ears. So make sure the kids are out of the room or car or bus or inside your head, wherever you're listening. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to A Little Forward, a podcast by Freeform. I'm April Quio. And I'm Jenny Yang, and we're your hosts. This week, we're talking about families, babies, and reproductive health with folks whose voices aren't typically centered in these conversations. Let's be honest, we're two cishet women. Yes, and we're having a conversation with a queer trans man, not your typical YouTube mommy vlogger. I mean, shout out to the YouTube mommy vloggers. Shout out to It's Judy's Life, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I do watch mommy vloggers, but we're showcasing different voices here and we're so excited to be able to do that. Yes. So first up, we have comedian, actor, and my dear, dear friend, D'Lo. You may recognize him from shows like Sense8 or Transparent. D'Lo is a queer, trans, Tamil Sri Lankan man who's been super open about finding himself and owning his identity. And that's why we were so super excited to have him for this episode. In case you need any reason to keep listening, the highlight was D'Lo telling us all about the period party he had when he was younger. Oh, it was incredible. I related so hard. It was so (laughs) cringe. And I cannot wait for you all to hear it. And then after that, we have a special segment featuring the bold type Stephen Conrad Moore, who discusses his character's adoption storyline and why it's so important to represent what it's like to be a black gay dad on TV. And as always, later in the show, we'll have advice from our very own personal life coach, Matt Belisai. But first, you already know what time it is. Let's kick things off with Struggle of the Week. This week, our struggle has to do with reproductive health. Yes. Big topic. What is your struggle, Jenny? Okay. When I think of reproductive health and my struggle, I think about how horny I am. Okay. Love that we're being open. (laughs) Outing yourself as a hornball. Love it. I'm so horny all the time, April. Okay. Okay. And I'm single. Perfect. Okay, but like I'm also like wanting a relationship because like after you hit 30, you're just like, "Mm, I want it. (laughs) Yes, yes. Right. And like so balancing that is so hard for me. Okay. Right. The desire to like hook up versus like put energy into a more relationship um, friendly potential partner. Yes. Yes. It's like that game, you know, marry, kill. Mm hmm. I just want to f*** and marry <laughs> at the same time. But it's like it, t- it takes time to like develop a relationship. Yes. So, so you know, I've like toyed with the idea of having a hotation. Do we mm. know about the hotation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's let's inform our listeners who may not know. It's it's, um you know, different people have a different way of doing it. But mm. it's generally, you know, a, a short list of people you have on call that you can always kind of go to for a little sexual release. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't have a hotation. Okay. I've toyed with some casual encounters. Okay. <laughs> What's stopping you from committing fully to like having a spreadsheet, having a hotation? Um, I don't know. Time, energy, STDs. I don't know. Those right? are real concerns. I feel like those are all of like those the, are real. the anxieties I have around like hooking up, mm-hmm. you know? And I've done it before and it's like there's like ways that I like try to keep myself safe, Mm -hmm. both in terms of like reproductively and like STD wise and otherwise. But like, tell me, April, what do you do when you are a modern horny woman who also wants a relationship? 
Anyway, so how do people do this. So, so that's my struggle. I'm a, I, I, I'm a hoe, and I don't know how to do it. <laughs> you're like, you're like I an want aspiring hoe. Ho. Yeah, I'm an aspiring hoe. I believe in you. You got to have dreams in this life. I know. That's what keeps us going. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, how about you? For me, my biggest struggle around reproductive health is just. I am somebody who I'm nowhere near ready for kids, but I really want kids. I'm oh, like yeah. love children. My oldest sister has six children. What? Which Wait is a, minute. a lot. Back it up. Yes, she has six children. It's 2019, and your six. sister has six children. children. There was a period there where she was just like pregnant every summer for years. You know what I mean? Which I think that's intense. But I really want kids, and I'm like extremely Aww. single and have been on birth control forever because I always had like heavy periods and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like okay, I know that you know, that might cause some issues. I'm also like a fat woman and every doctor treats fat pregnancies as high risk, whether or not that's even the case. For sure. And so it's kind of like I get really freaked out when I scroll through my timeline and I see all these stories of black women dying in childbirth. Like that seems something that's so archaic and it's happening more and more in this country more than anywhere else, which is really scary. And it's just kind of like there's nothing that can really save you from it. Serena Williams is like, I almost died. Beyonce was like, I almost died. And so it's kind of like, okay, if they are like at the brink of losing their lives like what what is my experience going to be when going to the doctor not pregnant just like a single woman right now i'm already like completely disrespected i have to like beg doctors to do certain tests because i'm a woman because i'm fat because i'm black and they disregard my pain already so imagine if i'm trying to give birth like and Which they won't so even high risk already already they won't even check my vitamin d level like oh, right no. now they're just like you're fine and then they check it and it's critically low you and know what think I mean? about it between beyonce and serena williams yes. these are the they are literally the the pinnacle of our physical form exactly in terms of fitness in terms of beauty quote unquote you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and 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 wealth yes and they almost they struggled and serena almost died i mean you think that 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 level of prestige would get you like respect from doctors but serena was like i had to beg them to check and she was like about to die and so meanwhile i sometimes when i go to the doctor i'll honestly bring a white friend with me so they can like advocate for me because doctors completely want to disregard me and so i'm like okay i guess if i ever give birth i gotta bring like a squad of 12 white ladies so i can like live to see another day like it's a horrifying thought you know what i mean and so it sort of just like plagues me and freaks me out because i'm already like single right now I don't know when that's going to happen all the women in my family started giving birth really young like my grandma had an arranged marriage at like 17 started having kids at 18 so I'm already like behind in that way yeah I'm already like behind in that way and then once I get there I'm like am I going to be okay like it scares me and the stories are nonstop and no one really has any solutions other than like hopefully you get a doctor who's not biased and again it just scares me to have that element of my future like kind of in somebody else's hands so much of these personal struggles that we have are mm-hmm. often connected to bigger policies and cultural shifts that more need to systemic happen. yeah mm-hmm. that's 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 the plight of being a woman of color i know my problems are your problems <laughs> <laughs> my problems are society's problems for sure so that's my struggle this is where we're at that's real that's very real So before we get into this week's interview, we have yet another word from one of our freeform faves. This week, we dive into the world of Siren with actress Aline Powell. Speaking of reproductive health, since we're on the topic, it just so happens to be mermaid mating season on Siren. That's right, it's mating season. All the feels that come with romance can really make the issues we're talking about this week so much trickier. And the only thing that can make it more complicated? Being a mermaid in a throuple with two humans. So. 
Here's what Aline told us about her character's biggest struggle. My name is Aline Powell. My character's name is Rin. And Rin's biggest struggle is that she has to love and behave in a very constrictive way that she's not used to. I would advise her to continue to be open-minded and uh, tell her that it is not her that is wrong. <laughs> Thank you so much to Aline for that little clip. I think we all could use advice about learning to trust our gut. And if you haven't already, make sure to check out Freeform's Siren. And now it's time for this week's interview. Yeah, they said throuple. Today, we are so excited and so lucky to welcome D-Lo into the studio. Woo! Thank you for being here. Yes, air horns. You brought the air horns with you. Yes, air horns go off air horns. Yes. (laughs) If you don't know, D-Lo is an actor, a writer, and a comic. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. I am too excited. Yes. With all the stuff that was happening out there in the hallway. With TBH, just to let y'all know, we just had a little mimosa. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're loose. We're open. Had a little gin and juice. We're ready to share. <laughs> Not about that champagne life. No champagne. And I respect here. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Full disclosure, D'Lo and I are like deep homies. Yes. Deep homies. We're family. Oh Pretty much. God. Please tell me how you know each other. I don't even know the story yet. I'm hyped to find out. So for the longest time, um, I was like a, just a community admirer of D'Lo multifaceted, multi-talented, but eventually our paths converged because Dila one day saw me, I started uh, stand-up comedy, I started a mostly female Asian-American stand-up comedy tour called Disoriented Comedy. Dilo was like, hey, um, I'm trying to like get off the like grind of traveling. Can I participate, help out with Disoriented Comedy because mm-hmm. we tour? And for me, it was like I was a fan and I was like, of course I'm gonna, I want to work with you. Jenny always tries to make me blush and cry I at the know. same we time. We want them tears. Yeah. I know. Give us and so, the tears. <laughs> and so, and I think for me, you know, the, the biggest education this is just through just our friendship and being around you, is that, you know, you are a uh, queer, Tamil Sri Lankan, trans guy, you know, and to kind of see your journey and, and, and how you have to live in that body, it's like amazing. And that's why I love that we have you as a guest today on the topic of reproductive health, because I think people forget about your Trans body. bodies, yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Gender nonconforming bodies, we, yeah, non-binary we, bodies. Yeah, because yeah. when we think about reproductive health, I think the first thing we think about is a uterus-having woman-identified body. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm even trying to think back to the first time that I saw these conversations sort of happen. And I think it was that thing on Oprah where do you remember where it was like Oprah brought out this guy and it was like, this man is pregnant. <laughs> do you remember this? <laughs> oh, I remember. And everybody was like, oh my God. How? Yeah. Why? I remember this. And then it turned out he was just trans. Yeah. <laughs> like, but no one even knew how to have those conversations. Like that was the first time that it even entered my mind sort of like, oh, this is the experience of someone else. And it was so sensationalized. Yeah. And so like. Like, I want to have a conversation that's not like that at all, yes. where we actually get to hear about your experience. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. I th- and we can't talk about reproductive health without just talking about sex generally. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about sex. Let's, Let's talk get about into sex. it. Okay. So what do you want to know? We just want to get a sense of your background with it, you know, because it was always awkward. We'd, I'd never talked about sex with my family. 
That didn't exist. I still haven't. That's a joke. Like, that's not even a question. She will, my mom slid me a pamphlet once when I was about 12, and she was like, everything you need to know is in here. <laughs> and I was like, great. And she was a nurse. And oh, she my still, gosh. Oh no. She still couldn't have the conversation. Immigrants. My, immigrants. So my parents didn't say shit when I started bleeding. Oh, yeah. And then I'm always like, here, she handed me a pad. She was like, here, put this in the underwear. And I was like, Whoa. What is this? And then Did I'm she sitting even explain there, what it was? She was like, you got your... Well, I knew because my sister was older and she got her, her okay. period. In our culture, we have a a, a thing called the periapilla ceremony, which means big girl, which is basically your period party, right? Mm. Oh, I did not know yes. that. So, like, they, you know, you get dressed up in your first sari, and then they do puja, the ceremony around you, and then they give you gifts and all of this stuff. Now, I didn't want one of those. I was still looking like a dude. I was like, no way, like, whatever. I have pictures of my period party on my phone if you want to see it. Were you so unhappy? I was so unhappy. Because you were, you're like, I need to fight this womanhood thing. That sounds like a very feminine party. Oh my God. I was like, like, what what is happening here? I was like crying. There's pictures of me crying. Yeah. And they're like putting on jewelry on me. And and so um, my sister came in and she was like, well, you know, like, you know what this means now, right? And I was like, what? She's like, you you can't play with boys anymore because um, now you could potentially have sex. And I was like, sex? Like, who does? We're not supposed to do sex. Did you not hear Amma and Appa? They tell you not to do sex. Like, and she's like, no, you have to have sex when you're married. And I was like, oh my God, if my parents heard her. Like, I, I was like, you are crazy. And then, and she was like, she's like, how do you think we got here? I'm oh my up. god! And then I was I was done. I had nightmares the whole night. Wow, that's like too much too soon. Wow. Yeah. Ugh, what a traumatic introduction into reproductive health. <laughs> yeah. So now we want to hear, hear more trauma. I mean, we we really could get into it. Yeah. I know, uh, D. You talk a lot about having to come out three times in your mm-hmm. life. You know, I'm sure it's a whole process, but three distinct times, especially yeah. right. First, coming out as gay. Mm-hmm. whatever that means for meant for you and then eventually coming out like when you had to have a relationship yeah. that's when it's like it became real, real. for your family yep. that you were gay i was not i was a, queer. i was now a functioning gay right yeah. and then the third time was being trans yeah right yeah. and so i wonder when it comes to those transitions for you how did how did that also affect how you viewed and how you had to handle your your, your reproductive yes, health. Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. I feel like um, that th- you know, even as I was coming out and I was definitely back into my boy skin by that point. Like the minute that the minute I got to college, it was like even before I came out to my parents, I was like, oh, thank God, I don't have to try and pretend anymore. You know. Yeah. But then it changed my relationship to healthcare, right? Uh huh. Because I was no longer able to go someplace. And, you know, just be treated normal, you know. So there there were a whole bunch of things that came, came up for me. Like um, when when you're young, people are like, oh, are you having sex, um, you know, with, with men, right? Mm-hmm. Like where where's your risk level here? Right. And I'd be like, I'm not having sex with men and they would almost like write it off like oh you're fine but as then, if, if you had sex with women female bodies that you that wouldn't may- get stds right. or that there wouldn't That's be some up. sort of like you don't know what level of hardcore to you know like like people just assume like oh now you're having like vanilla like finger sex or something like that and that's it right mm-hmm. and you know that that that's true for a lot of people but like meaning that i 
knew that there were a lot of people my age who were having unprotected sex with other people who identified as cis women who were not who just believed that what they were doing was just going to be scot free of all mm, disease risk. and this risk and whatever right and and so th- that that was the big lie our generation was like at the tail end of all that AIDS scare. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So I even got tested after sleeping only with women because of all of this scare. I got tested constantly because I was terrified huh. of 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 being HIV positive. Because there was such a stigma around it as well yeah. that it became like if you were positive, then you were going to die. It's a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the queer community, that was like all that you were talking about or being told. So um, so then when I was a little bit older, like maybe 21, 22, I went to Planned Parenthood. And that was also very like, it was just, that's also like a pain because you go there. It's the first time I was going to a clinic as a young person just to get a, a pap smear, yeah. you know? And I'm sitting on the thing in that damn sheet, in a pink sheet, and I'm just like, I just need to hurry up and get this over with. And the doctor came in, looked at me from the back. I turned around to look at them, and they closed the door again. (gasps) And then I was like, wait, what's happening? And then she opened up the door, and she was like, this is the wrong room. They say you're here for a gynecology exam. And I was like... No, that's right. In my feminine voice at that time, I was like, no, that's right. And she just looked at me and it was just judgment, just pure judgment oh, on her wow. face. And I was like, this is a bunch of bullshit. But at that age and at that time, you just had to do it. Just you just had to it accept it as and put up with it. uncomfortable or traumatic as Absolutely, it Absolutely, yeah when I got a little bit older, so this is late 20s, I remember going to, calling around and saying, I'm trans do you serve trans patients? Mm. And then they didn't have the language. Like, um, I asked, like, she was like, hold on. She asked, and they're like, yeah, so wait, do you have a vagina? Okay. So many things to clarify. Yeah. All and right. Then, and then, and then, um, and did you always have a vagina? Uh-huh. So they were worried that if it was a trans woman coming in, that that she wouldn't be able to be seen in the same way as right. somebody who, because they didn't know what to look for, what to, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, no, I had, you know, I had to explain the whole thing over the phone, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I get there, it was like the doctor, I came in and the doctor looked at me and was just kind of like, looked me up and down and kind of was like, uh, you know, like confused, but then also like, assessing and then didn't have the language didn't have any of that like lack of fundamental education absolutely yeah because what they were used to was just going through the motions of checking for a a cis body yeah Yeah. right and so they're like once you throw a wrench into that they were like what does not compute it's like the intention was kind of there and this is the the truth for so many trans people and non-binary people is like this is so much stuff trying to just get to the doctor so like let's just say you are somebody who's like i want to make sure that i'm getting all of my health stuff taken care of and then you get there and then it's all of this bullshit i feel like a lot of trans people and non-binary or gender non-conforming people queer people who just don't look cis have neglected their health care because of 
the trauma that is oh. the, the doctor's office. Hearing you say that, I can only imagine, like, if you, if your experience being outside of a conforming body meant that from a young age, depending on whatever, your experience at a doctor's office has been nothing but discomfort and trauma or yeah. feeling like there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Then why, why would you want to... Why would you want to put yourself through that? And yeah. if you're, and if you happen to be not healthy in some way, mm-hmm. you might, it might not go, it might go unchecked. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk a little bit about representation. I feel like what you're just talking about is so pertinent because it's like if people see an image of someone like themselves getting the care they need, maybe they might think it's like possible. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are about representation specifically when it comes to LGBTQ plus family planning? Like, have you seen good examples of it? Do you think that there have been inclusive examples? Sort of like, what are you taking in from the media about this? No, I have not seen enough. Okay. But though we, I live in Los Angeles, I see more. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Um, it's usually on posters. It's hardly ever on billboards. The most queer representation I see is anything to do with um, HIV, uh, safety, prevention, whatever, whatever. And and mostly around gay men, um, though I have seen more about gay men of color than ever before. And then you were just cast in a short that's mm-hmm. called Postpartum, yeah. where you're playing a pregnant trans man. So can you tell us a little bit about the project? Yes. So the project uh, was written by Heather Tyler, and uh, who's an artist, actor, um, theater artist here in Los Angeles. And she wrote this piece based off of her postpartum stuff like... Um, the anxiety, the postpartum depression, the stuff that she was facing. And and she was like wondering where all of this stuff was coming from. She's a cis woman and she needed to know more. And she came across Tristan Reese's moth story, which was about him um, as a trans guy, his pregnancy story and, and what happened after he gave birth. I connected my story to her story in that even around trans stuff, I'm not able to ask all the doctors all the things. Now I have excellent health care for the first time in my life, mm. starting from last year. And I'm able to have access Come to doctors any time uh, I want. Do you yes. get what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's a game changer. It's a game changer. Yeah. And it's only because I am on my partner's insurance because we finally got legally married last year. Do you get what I'm mm. saying? So anyway, this this role, it's it's a short film. It was it was deep for me too because we we think about adoption We've been talking about adoption for the longest. And just last, uh, earlier this month, I finally got all of my markers changed on my ID. Finally got the name changed, passport, this and other for gender. And now when we were talking to the one organization that did do a a transnational adoption in Sri Lanka, because, you know, it's a war torn country and I wanted to see if we could possibly get a child of Tamil background from Sri Lanka, right? We're like, you know, Sri Lanka has its own rules around queerness and transness and, you know, what what's, what do you think? And she's like, well, we we would have to disclose that you're trans because they ask for the original birth certificate. Dang. So then I'm kind of like, we do all of this. Even if I got my marker changed on my birth certificate, it would still be in the dossier packet that went to the country that, that I was born, trans. Yeah, yeah. That you were born. So then, I, then it's kind of like you put in 
tens of thousands of dollars, upwards to close, like even beyond $20,000 to try and make this a reality. Because you wanted a better chance to adopt. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's, and then we're not guaranteed, right? <sighs> and we don't got it like that. You know what I'm saying? We're <laughs> like, yo, like maybe one time, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So now we're at this position. Thankfully, in California, we have a really incredible resources around adopting for queer couples or queer people actually not you don't have to be coupled up or throupled up or anything like that um and so that's what we're gonna that's the next frontier is trying to adopt in the u.s that's exciting just as a potential auntie oh I'm my excited. gosh yes auntie jenny yeah. Ugh, imagine yeah. the future instagrams yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, got it. I know i'm um i'm really honored like blessed that i can call you a part of my chosen family Yes. That we're indeed. a part of a chosen family. And mm -hmm. I know that this is a term that maybe not everyone is familiar with. Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. Um, like, so can you tell us, like, what does that term chosen family mean to you? Yeah. And what are the ways that you think are important um, for your chosen family and their role in your family planning as well? Yes. Um, cho like, when you're blood family, the, the, the family of your birth or... Yeah, it's usually your blood family uh, or like your guard, you're the guardians that you were put under care with. Um, when they are acting up <laughs> and you're just trying to live your best queer life, <laughs> then you survive your existence on this planet with your chosen family. And the way that I see it is too is that chosen family, like your, your, your chosen family is your lifeline. Your community is your lifeline. Like there were times where I would be like distraught trying to work out some shit that has happened to me with my blood family and it was so painful and then within like 10 minutes of just having a space to be held you're laughing you're joking about it you're you're punching up at the man at that point but you're all having a good time you know what I'm saying and I think that that's what makes queer people so resilient is that we have people who believe not just in family but like are invested and are intentional in, in creating a chosen family that feels as close to possible as what you would want from a blood family. So Ugh. that is what chosen family means to me. I don't want to do anything in a cis normative way that makes us feel more isolated as parents. Yes. I want this child to be integrated. I want to disrupt my auntie's the aunties lives who are with me the uncles life like just to be able to be like yo like you can have have some of this without ha feeling like it's a burden yeah. yeah you know what i'm saying and by sharing the this the duty of raising beautiful beautiful young people we all get to come up by it you know what i'm saying uh -huh. you want them to have a village i want them to have a, i wanted a village yes exactly i feel like if all of us were in just were showing up and available, our communities, our societies would be just be so much more mentally healthy. Yes. You know? Yeah. And we're all, like, every single one of us is suffering. Is suffering, like, without resources or, like, wherewithal or answers or whatever you want to, you know, whatever we're not, we don't have at our disposal. And the truth is, like, you have something that I need and I have something that you need. And, like, why can't we just be, like, Hey, this is what I got for you. Yeah, you know, Tilo, we could talk to you all day. I know. Yeah. What a what a goldmine! Literally, Oprah, who? <laughs> 
Kilo <laughs> just got us completely together. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing so much of your journey. Oh, I'm so happy. So happy. Just being so open and you're just the best. Oh, you're I appreciate the best. you. I appreciate you. Now, now all y'all know. Yeah. Yes. What I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We're one big chosen fucking family. That's <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank and now you. Now you have to hear all my jokes now, though. Oh my gosh. Yes. To deal with all my shenanigans now. That I week. love shenanigans. <laughs> Thank you, D-Lo. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, you so much. April. Thank you. D-Lo, where could we find you online and how can we support you? I made it so easy for everybody. All you have to do is go to D-Locokid. D-L-O-C-O-K-I-D. And that's everything. Yes. Everything. Thank you. Thank you. Dilo is truly so incredible, so brilliant, and I feel so honored to even be a witness to Dilo and Jenny's amazing friendship. Aww. Honestly, in the words of Beyonce and Jay-Z, you wish you had friends like ours. Remember that song off yeah. that album? Did you hear that? Okay. They did this whole song about friendship. It was so weird. Anyway, D'Lo was truly incredible. There were so many gems in that interview. And I just thank him for being able to share his journey because I don't think a lot of people have been able to hear about these conversations from that perspective. So thank you again to D'Lo. And now we have a special bonus segment for you all. You probably already know that we all are pretty obsessed with Freeform's The Bold Type. We both stand. And one of our favorite characters is the fierce and amazing Oliver Grayson, played by Stephen Conrad Moore. So if you don't know, Oliver is the head of the fashion department at Scarlet Magazine and spends most of his time calling the shots and giving everyone the toughest but best advice and wearing a lot of sick blazers. On the latest season of the show, he adopts his ex-partner's daughter, which was pretty huge for his character. It also was super important to see that representation of a single gay black man becoming a father. So we spoke to Stephen Conrad Moore about Oliver becoming a dad and what it's like to represent what LGBTQ families can look like. This is Stephen Conrad Moore, and I play Oliver on The Bold Type on Freeform. You know, this season, Oliver has become a dad in a really unconventional way. There was an ex that Oliver loved dearly and this child named Carly that he also loved dearly. And this ex fell upon hard times and um, Oliver stepped in. I hope that showing Oliver going through this family planning process will help to just show that Sometimes you can't plan, but we need to see more of it because I definitely heard from firsthand black, same gender loving gay people who have talked about, you know, having to step up. And so I think that this seeing this trajectory for Oliver will one be encouraging um, to other people that they can do it as well. And it will also just be a good representation of what's already happening. Thank you so much to Steven for taking the time to talk to us. We'll hear more from him in next week's episode, our season finale. But now, before we go, it's time to check in with Matt Belisai and the advice he has for us this week is all about how to bring up contraception with your partner. Take it away, Matt. Hey, this is Matt Belisai and I'm here to help you get your life together. Each week we get questions about our topics. I'm going to choose the best one and give my best advice, even though I am totally unqualified to give advice. But whatever. This week's question is from Lauren from Tucson. 
What are the ways I can get my boyfriend to support me when it comes to birth control? All right, I'm just going to admit right up top, it feels weird for me to be giving any sort of advice on birth control because I'm a dude, okay? But just for the hell of it, here's a few points. First point is related to that. He's a dude. He has no right to tell you what to do with your body or what you should do with your body. You are your own full person who gets to make your own decisions about your own body. Nobody else should pressure you into feeling any type of way that feels uncomfortable to you or makes you question anything. To your boyfriend, sir, two things. You should be supportive of whatever your girlfriend chooses to do, okay? From one man to all other men, mind your damn business. You're not the one who's gonna have to grow a whole baby in your body, okay? So you don't get to decide what your girlfriend should do. And now back to the ladies, okay? You should feel empowered to make any choice you want about your own body. That's just how it works, okay? I hope that for you. I want that for you. And I know given today's cultural climate that that can sometimes feel hard. It feels like people are telling you that you don't have control over your body and that you shouldn't have a choice and that you you have to listen to other people, but you don't. I would encourage you, find a community around you that supports your choices. Surround yourself with people who are going to make you feel like you can do whatever you want and not feel pressured to uh, conform to what some boy is telling you to do, okay? Because as a great philosopher once said, who run the world? Girls! So I hope that helped, even though I'm a dude and I should have absolutely no opinion on this. But there you go. I'm Matt Belisai. You can catch me on my podcast, Unhappy Hour. comes out every Tuesday. Jenny, we did it again. We killed it. We had an incredible conversation. We learned a lot. We grew a lot. Wow. <laughs> I love how they, these like endings are just us congratulating each other. I mean, that is the ultimate <laughs> self-care. Can wow. I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. And thank you all for sticking with us and for tuning in yet again. I know. And uh, of course, share your thoughts about the show on social media with the hashtag a little forward. And as you know, Every week, we're going to give you a little insider code for those of you who make it through the credits. So tweet us your answer to our weekly question with the hashtag a little forward. We are watching. Now, April, what's the question this week? Okay, this week's question, since we're talking all about reproductive health, is tell us your favorite celebrity baby. Uh, I'll tell you mine right now. It's Ray J and Princess's baby. Do you know about these people? No. From Love and Hip Hop Hollywood? I do know the name Ray J. Ray J, Brandy's little brother and princess. She's simply someone named Princess. (laughs) They have a beautiful baby (laughs) named Melody, and I love her. So tell me your favorite celebrity baby with the hashtag a little forward, and I will retweet, period. Wow. That is a... That is a strong commitment in 2019. It really when is. When you're trying to retweet someone and you say you will and you do it. Oh, I'll do it. I'll follow through. Oh, and while you're posting, you might as well follow us on Twitter, right? So follow Freeform on Twitter at Freeform TV. And you can follow us on Twitter. Like, please do. We're effervescent and amazing. True. I'm at Jenny Yang TV. That's J-E-N-N-Y-Y-A-N-G TV. 
And I'm April K. Quio, so that's Q-U-I-O-H. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show. Make sure to rate and subscribe to A Little Forward on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. This show is a collaboration between Freeform and Pineapple Street Media. Executive produced by Sasha Kai Parker, Kasime Bernard, Maddie Sprunkaiser, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Produced by Agarenish, Ashagre, and Josh Gwynn, with editing help from Jess Jupiter. Our squad is incredible, so shout out to the squad. And our music is by Brandon Cadell. That's our show. We'll see you next week. And remember... Your chosen family is your lifeline. Bye. Bye.